we just sang on Jordan's stormy banks I stand. And in that song, we're looking at the stormy Jordan River as the passage of death into eternal life. So we shall all have to fulfill the role of Joshua and step our feet into the brim of that river. But there is a God that said, I will be with thee, I will deliver thee, I will not forsake thee, only be thou courageous and very strong. And Joshua was, and we must be. And we are in the house of the Lord to prepare ourselves to put our feet in that Jordan one of these days. You may turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. We have not pursued the study of this book in normal fashion. We started in the middle. And last Lord's Day we did chapters 5 through 8. But we're going to come back and take up with chapter 1. Joshua is a great Bible character. He has a book of the Bible named after him. He's great by his accomplishments, his courage, his commitment, and his faith. He trusted God with one terrible assignment. An assignment we would avoid with all our might unless we knew it was one God wanted us to take. But we should be able to find comfort that God has assigned you men to be husbands. He's assigned you to be fathers. He's assigned some to be grandfathers. He's assigned some to be great-grandfathers. He's assigned you to be employees, some masters. And if you're ever intimidated by any of those jobs, or you're worried about the future in any of those undertakings, then Joshua should be of encouragement to you. Because he undertook much more. And the Lord blessed him mightily and in a short time. Joshua has six names in your King James Bible. And it's the name that you want to remember, the man that you want to remember, when you run into a skeptic or a scorner sitting in his seat and debating the integrity of the Bible because he reads in one passage that a man has this name and in another passage that sounds like the same event, a man with a different name is acting. Remember Joshua. He's known in the Bible as Hashia, Ashia, Jehoshua, Jeshua, and Jesus. All of them are correct. Moses renamed Ashia. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 13. I'll read it to you. We'll always want to keep our fingers there at Joshua chapter 1, no matter where we turn. Let me read you the verse. Moses has just chosen the twelve spies that were to go spy out the land of Canaan. These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Ashia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua. He made his simple name a compound name. The simple name, Ashia, simply means deliverer or savior. Moses renamed him Jehoshua. Jehovah is the deliverer and the savior. Big difference. Though Joshua led the people of God into the land of Canaan, it was Jehovah that went with him and blessed them and caused them to defeat all their enemies. Joshua 
from Hebrew coming into Greek and then into English is Jesus. And that's why we have Matthew 121 with the angel telling Joseph, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, or Joshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now to be named Joshua, and then to be told he, the baby that would be named Joshua, would save his people from their sins, tells us that Jesus is Jehovah. Because it wasn't that the Lord would be with the child Jesus, but it was the child Jesus would save his people from their sins himself, because he was Jehovah. Understand the man's name, and if you run into any weird spellings like Ashia or Hashia, Jeshua, Jehoshua, they're all Joshua. And when you run into Jesus in Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, it's Joshua. Because it's talking about Moses' successor and the man who took the Israelites into the land of Canaan. Joshua had distinguished himself already for 40 years before we get to Joshua chapter 1. He was Moses' understudy and assistant for 40 years. Shortly after they left Egypt, they ran into Amalek, which is why God said he would utterly wipe Amalek's name from off the face of the earth because his people just out of the land of Egypt, were accosted by this wicked nation, and Joshua led the battle. He was the military commander of the Israeli armies for 40 years before he took them across the Jordan River to take on 31 kings and seven great nations in the land of Canaan. He went with Moses up Mount Sinai. Anyone else getting near Mount Sinai or an animal getting near Mount Sinai was to be thrust through with darts or stoned. But he went up Mount Sinai with Moses. He went up and he came down with Moses. We don't know where he stopped, if he stopped at all, or if he was with Moses all the way. doesn't tell us. Because he was very close to Moses and he was very close to the Lord, which leads me to the favorite little personal tidbit that I know about his life. And it's in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. And some of you have heard me use this before about Joshua and about your delight in the presence of God. If you delight in the Lord, then you're going to delight in reading about Joshua being a man that delighted in the presence of God. Right. Let me start at verse 8 just to build the, the beauty of this situation. Exodus 33 and verse 8. They've only been out of Egypt a short while. It came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle... That all the people rose up and stood, every man, at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. This was one dramatic event. Moses was going to go in to meet God in the tabernacle. The whole nation rose up and stood and watched Moses disappear into their blue tent. And it came to pass, verse 9... As Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. The presence of Jehovah God 
was at the door of that tabernacle. Moses was on the inside and the Lord was talking to him. As the Lord would say, face to face, friend to friend, man to man. And the whole nation is worshiping Jehovah at the door of that tabernacle, talking to Moses. Verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Are there any young men here like that? Are there any young men like Joshua that would rather be with the Lord than with the congregation? They would rather be with the Lord than anyone else. Joshua was saying to himself, Whom have I in heaven, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee? Moses can leave. I think I'll stay right here. I want you to love the man Moses. I want you to be like the man, the man Joshua, excuse me. I want you to be like Joshua. This is what made Joshua great. No wonder God loved Joshua. No one, no wonder God chose Joshua. You say, well, which comes first? Does God choose Joshua because Joshua loves the Lord? Or does Joshua love the Lord because, the, because God chose Joshua? I'd say, you're right. Amen. They both work. They're both true of godly men. The Lord chooses men because of the character He sees in them and the delight they have in Him. And then those men, because they're chosen, they delight evermore in the Lord. And delight in Him. I hope you love this about Joshua. These are things we know about him before we get to Joshua chapter 1. He delighted in the presence of God. He was one of the original 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan and took 40 days to compass that land and take a look at it and view the cities and the, the nations that were there and come back and report to the people of Israel. But he was only one of two spies that told the truth. And that is, it is a beautiful land. And though, though there be mighty men there, with the Lord's help, we can take it easily. Right. Let's go up immediately and take it. He and Caleb said that. The other ten spies were wimps and said, the cities are walled. The men are giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes and we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And caused the whole nation to be discouraged. And you know what it says? The whole nation wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. He had faced adversity in his life already. He knew what kind of people they were. They had chosen him out of the tribe of Ephraim to go and be their representative to spend 40 days risking their lives to spy out the land of Canaan and then they want to stone him for it because he believes in God. As God delivered us from Egypt, he can deliver us out of these nations in Canaan. And they wanted to stone him. And I'm going to tell you something now. Even in this church, because this church is no different than any other church, and all churches are no different than the church in the wilderness. If you are truly like Joshua, you'll have people dislike you anywhere you go, even in this church. And that is a terrible shame, but it'll happen. Because the average Christian is a loser. Men like Joshua are an exception. And I would wish to God and hope and pray to God that you and I 
would want to be exceptional men and women like Joshua and Rahab. But to be exceptional like them, you love the Lord so much, everyone knows you don't care about them or their things like you care about the Lord and His things. And it makes a difference. It draws lines, even among the people of God. For this great act of faith, God promised Joshua and Caleb, you get to go into the land of Canaan. And the other ten spies, they didn't have to worry about Canaan. Why didn't the other ten spies have to worry about Canaan? They died right there on the spot. The Lord just killed them. That's the God I worship and the God I love. This is the God the Bible describes, and I hope you love him. He just killed the other ten right there on the spot. And then for 40 years, the others wandered in circles until they were all dead. So that Joshua and Caleb could take their children in. Do you know what those people cried out? Why did God bring us out here to kill our children? Well, their children ended up living the fat and good life in the land of Canaan with leaders named Joshua and Caleb. Moses publicly ordained Joshua before his death. There are wonderful descriptive statements in the Bible about how Moses put his hands upon Joshua and gave part of his spirit to Joshua to lead the people of God. Then he charged Joshua in the name of the Lord to be faithful to his charge. Much like Paul with Timothy and Titus when you get to the New Testament and read those three books of our New Testaments. Let's come to Joshua chapter 1. We've, we've briefly introduced ourselves to the man. Chapter 34 of Deuteronomy describes some of these same things. It describes Moses' death. Verse 5 tells us, After Moses had gone to an appointed mountain to be able to view the land of Canaan, he died there according to the word of the Lord, and the Lord buried him. And no man ever knew his burial place or the, the Israelites that had been worshiping it. Verse 7 tells us Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. He was as powerful at 120 as he was when he was 40, receiving all the accolades of the Egyptian empire for being mighty in word and deed among the Egyptians. And they wept 30 days for Moses, their great leader. And then those days ended, and it says in verse 9, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses, and that was to switch their allegiance, loyalty, and obedience from Moses to Joshua, and obey him in whatever he told them to do. And then it tells us that there arose not a prophet sense in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew. Face to face. What wonderful statements that we have here. And then it tells us in all the signs and wonders that Moses did, there was no miracle worker quite like Moses. And in all the mighty hand and in all the great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. That is Moses. Now, a man in the office has died and you're sitting in an office being told... That this man has died and we're considering you for the job. You're never going to follow an act like Moses. That's why we have those verses there at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And so end the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And so when we come to Joshua 1.1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, 
Moses' minister, saying, Joshua needs some encouragement. And every wise man and every spiritual man here this morning can take encouragement from this chapter. This is to encourage men to be great husbands, great fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, masters, rulers, pastors. Whatever God has called you to do, you can do it. Because you're never, all of us combined are not going to face responsibilities even close to what Joshua faced. Joshua had to replace Moses, the man who was the meekest man on the face of the earth, and yet so full of zeal and fury, he could break the Ten Commandments, grind a golden calf up and make them eat it, drink it. The man had a combination of mercy and truth, zeal and meekness like no other man. He had to follow that act. Those are big shoes to fill. Plus, he already knew what the people were like. They were the most stiff-necked, rebellious, difficult people in the world to manage. He'd witnessed it for 40 years. They had tried to stone and kill Moses and Aaron and Joshua on numerous occasions. Then he knew that the only task he had with these stiff-necked, disobedient, rebellious people was to take them across the Jordan River that their, fa- their fathers had said they wouldn't do in order for them to be involved in battles for the next five years. Battles with nations mightier and greater, greater than they. The empire of the Hittites was across that Jordan River. So here's Joshua. He's got to fill the shoes of Moses. He's got to take the most difficult people God ever put on the earth. And he's got to take them to oppose battle. Army after army after army in battles in the land of Canaan. So the Lord comes down to give them a pep talk. And here's a pep talk from the Lord, and it ought to pep us up. May the Lord bless us to love these words and see how tender the Lord is. Joshua had already been serving the Lord for 40 years. Joshua had seen how the Lord was with Moses. The Lord had already told Joshua he was going to be with him. But do we ever need reminders that the Lord's with us? Yes, we do. And so the Lord gives it to Joshua. These are the words of the Lord. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. The spotlight's on you now. The Lord's saying to Joshua. Let me read a verse at a time and give the sense and we'll move through the chapter. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan. Thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. As soon as Moses was dead, God told him to do something. The thing that that nation had rebelled at doing 40 years earlier, it was an intimidating thing to do. How do we get across such a river? This was early in the spring. It was barley season. The snow was melting in the mountains, and Jordan was overflowing its banks. And the Jordan is not the Reedy River. The Reedy River has about 10 gallons an hour compared to the Jordan River. It was overflowing its banks. It was barley harvest season. It was spring because they observed the Passover as soon as they got to the side of the river. It wasn't wheat harvest. It was barley harvest. We're going to run into that later. Get up and go over this river. Well, now... That's, that's quite a task itself. The Army Corps of Engineers of the Israeli Army had not built any pontoons yet to get across that river.
go across the river and take that land. That he already knew what was there. He had seen the cities of the Anakim. The Anakim were giants that dwelt in the land. But the Lord told him to do something. The Lord's told us to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Lord's told us to love and lead our wives. The Lord's told us to be fair, gracious, firm masters. We're intimidated by some of the jobs we have sometimes. We do them anyway because he told us to. Arise. Go. Those are simple verbs, aren't they? Get up and do it. You know, there's a bunch of pagans in our country that work for a company called Nike. They're a bunch of tree-worshipping pagans. But their little motto that they used to use, their mantra, just do it, is more for Christians than it is for pagans. Just do it. Arise and go. I'm going to give you the land that I've promised. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. Now take a look at your little map, just to remind yourself of how Israel is situated It is a narrow nation that runs north and south. It's a narrow nation that runs north and south. The light blue in the middle of the map at the bottom is the Dead Sea, also known in the Bible as the Salt Sea. It still has salt to this day. You can read about it. Google it. I love Google. You know anything we say, you can go home and check out. You can check it out in the Bible. You can check it out with Google. That's the Dead Sea. Do you notice right at the top of the Dead Sea you have two cities, Jerusalem and Jericho? I hope you can see where Jerusalem's located and where Jericho is located, the top of the Dead Sea. The Jordan River is that river that runs from the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the map down to the Dead Sea. Across the Jordan River from Jericho is a place called Shittim. That's where they are right now. That's where this word comes to Joshua. Now, the great sea is there on the west. What sea is that? The Mediterranean. This map doesn't go far enough north to show you the Euphrates River because it's much farther north. This map doesn't go south far enough to show you the Nile River. So Israel at its greatest expansion was quite a bit larger than this and much, much larger than it is today. Look at the dimensions again. In uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon. They had just come through the wilderness of sin up around the Dead Sea. This, that wilderness that they had just been through. And Lebanon, which was where they were standing all the way north up to Mount Heshbon. Mount Hermon, I mean. All that was considered Lebanon. And that's why... The Lord calls it this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates. If you're reading in the Old Testament and you come upon a river and it's no name, it just says the river, it's the Euphrates. Just for your information, you'll sometimes you'll encounter a river without a name. But that's just the river that, that Abraham had to come across to enter into the land of Canaan a long time ago. David is going to have outposts on the river Euphrates. When he expands the empire. 
Solomon will have tributaries all the way to the Euphrates River. From this wilderness where they were standing on the east side of the Jordan. Notice that the Jordan runs directly north and south. So you're either on the east side or the west side. What we consider Israel is on the west side. But there were two tribes that wanted the east side that we're going to encounter in a moment. So I want you to understand that. From the wilderness that was on the east side of the Jordan River all the way north to the Euphrates River, all the way west to the Mediterranean Sea, and all the way south to the Nile River was going to be the land of Israel. Some of those dimensions aren't giving in this passage. Every passage you go to about the dimensions of the land is a little bit different in the Old Testament so that you can put them all together and get the whole land. The Jordan wasn't their boundary because two and a half tribes were going to take the territory on the east of the Jordan. Now, these dimensions were familiar to Joshua. He had heard them for 40 years. He had heard them all his life. When he sat in his home and his parents told him about what they had learned from their parents, they knew what God had promised Abraham, these dimensions, that that land was the promised land and someday they were going to go to it. And when God was done dealing with Egypt, they would go and take that land. Joshua knew these dimensions. And so the Lord's repeating them. This isn't information to Joshua. This is encouragement. Everywhere you go within those boundaries, Joshua, and put your foot down, you own it. That's encouraging, isn't it? Wherever you wander, wherever your foot touches the ground, you own it and the nation of Israel. Verse 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. You say, if I had a verse like that, I could do anything. Say it with me. I mean, say it in your heart with me. If I had a verse like that, I would do anything the Lord wanted me to do. You have a verse like that. It's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And do you know where Paul's quoting from? You're welcome. Right? Don't tell me if I had a verse like that, you'd do anything. I'll hang you with it. In a good way. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Paul pulled that verse into the New Testament and told Hebrew Christians, the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua is just typical of all the saints of God. Rejoice with me. Paul quotes from here in Hebrews 13.5 and then says, So, I think I better look at it. Oh, boy. Now my children are going to ask for an increase in my medicine. Hebrews thirteen six, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So that we may boldly... We, not them, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What did he tell Joshua? There shall not a man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. So the Lord is our helper. And what shall we fear that man can do unto us? Because no man can stand before us either. No rebellious teenager can stand before you if you'll put your fear in the word of God. That doesn't mean you won't have one. It just means none of them will be able to stand before you. God will take care of them. Do you know what Moses had, Joshua, do you know what Joshua had seen during his 40 years of watching the life of Moses? He had seen men stand up to Moses. Men like Sihon, king of the Amorites, men like Og, king of Bashan, and men like Korah, 
Was the Lord with Moses in every one of those cases? Did Korah stand up with 250 princes of renown of the nation of Israel? Korah got a hasty burial, didn't he? The earth opened up and swallowed him up. And the Lord's telling Joshua, I'm going to be with you just like that. Whether it's men on the outside or men on the inside, I'm going to protect you from all of them. You have a verse like this. So that we may boldly say, you intimidated by 700 elementary students in a strange school, Deborah, my sister, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. All you parents with children that are still single digits, I want to put some fear in you. It's a little different when they're double digits. But still, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Do you know what the Hebrews were fearing? The loss of their lives. Because they're being persecuted by the Jews for having left Moses' religion to become Christians. Now, what a verse. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As long as you live, I'll be with you, and no man's going to stand up to you. Not in the land of Canaan and not from your own army. I'll tear them out of the way. What a wonderful verse. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. You are going to do what you and all the people of Israel have been talking about for 430 years. You're going to do it. You're the one. Just be strong and of a good courage. The Lord says this three times inside of four verses. Because that's what we're supposed to do. He'll be with us. He just wants to see us acting upon His promise. And how do we show Him that we're acting upon His promise? We're strong and courageous. If we're timid, then we're not believing. It disappoints Him. It hurts Him. I used to love to put my children up on a counter. Some of you may want to close your ears. I, I love to put the children up on a counter and step back a foot and have there to be a chasm there, a Jordan River, between them and me. Jump. Jump. You know, when they jumped to me, it thrilled my heart because they trusted me. They knew I was going to catch them most of the time. You know, when they were timid, you look at the child and you say, well, why don't you trust me? Why are you so afraid? I know it's a poor example. That's why I don't tell stories. God, you can laugh with me on that one all you want. I don't know how to tell stories and I don't want to learn how. I want to tell you the word of God. Joshua had to cross that Jordan River and the Lord saying, I'm going to be with you. Now, how do you show the Lord that you know he's with you? How do you show the Lord that that means something to you? How do you show the Lord that you believe His power is enough to destroy and defeat anything or anyone in your way? Do you know how you do it? You run into the water. Jesus did what I did to my children with Peter. Except Peter said, may I jump? Peter said, Lord, bid me to come to you on the water. Come. Peter jumped over the gunwale of that boat and walked on water. Joshua did the same thing. And do you know how they all did it? Because they believed and they were zealous. If God said it, let's act upon it. 
That's why the words, only be thou strong and very courageous. You do your part. You trust me. I'll be with you. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. This is Psalm 1, found in Joshua 1. The Lord tells Joshua, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to defend you. No man will stand before you. No man outside Israel from the land of Canaan. I don't care how big they grow them among the Anakim. And no man inside of Israel is going to stand before you. Only be thou strong and very courageous to do everything that I have commanded you through Moses. You meditate in God's word day and night and have it fitted in your mouth. And you be strong and courageous because there's going to be opposition to doing it God's way. You do it my way and you will make your way prosperous and then thou shalt find good success. Psalm 1 and Joshua 1 contain verses that every man ought to know, believe, and memorize. These are the rules for success in life. It is to fill your heart, then your mouth, with the Word of God. It is to delight in the law of God and to meditate in it day and night. Don't let those be words to you. Do you get thrilled with the Word of God? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. But I got a little email from my brother yesterday, and he happened to catch me in the middle of reading Numbers 32, and I was just bawling at my computer. You say, what is there in Numbers 32 to bawl about? It was just the exchange of God's man with the two tribes that didn't want to cross the Jordan River. Some of you read it last night. It just affected me very, very much yesterday because of the character of those men and their willingness to humble themselves. They didn't get offended when Moses tore them up. Moses said, you little babies, you mean to tell me that you want us to go over and fight the nations and you're going to sit here? You're just like your fathers that rose up and wouldn't take the land of Canaan 40 years ago and God had to kill them. You're just a new generation of sinners. Did you you read those words? Moses was tough on them. Do you know what most men would do with treatment like that? They'd want to fight. It says they came near. They humbled themselves and they came near to Moses. And they said, we will put our wives and our children in fenced areas. And we will arm ourselves and we will go over and fight until they have all their land. We would just like this property. I was was messed up. Do you get messed up about the Word of God? I'm, I'm nothing. I just know that yesterday that chapter messed me up. Do you delight in the law of God? Do you delight in reading every word of it? Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper. Do you mean it takes courage and strength to obey God's word? Even in the nation of Israel? Even in the nation of Israel? Even in this church? Even in this church? Even in your family? Even in your family? 
If you follow God's law perfectly and don't turn to the left or the right, your children are going to know that you're different from all the retarded fathers that they hear about on their streets. The pagan losers that they hear about on their streets, that you're different. You will have opposition whenever you try to follow the law of God perfectly. You say you're not very respectful to other fathers. No, not compared to a godly father. Amen. When you have to listen to your children come home and talk about the absentee AWOL fathers of the neighbors, it's wickedness. It's just part of our generation and our nation. We have to be real fathers. And it takes courage to do so. Where does that courage come? Where does that courage for? For keeping the law of God. Now, what do you do with the law of God according to verse 8? This is so similar to Psalm 1. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Notice, it doesn't say it shall not depart off thy coffee table. It doesn't say it shall not depart out of thy morning Bible studies. It doesn't say it shall not depart out of thy heart. It says it shall not depart out of thy mouth. And from that, we can learn a whole great deal of what is said in verse 8. It shall not depart out of thy mouth. Because a leader had better have a Bible reason for what he does. Joshua needed to know what God said they should do so that he could explain it, teach it, and defend it to anyone that would question what they were about to do. Because they did some strange things. You know, to line up a whole nation looking at a raging Jordan River in the time of overflowing and just to walk straight into it, that takes some instruction. To walk around the city of Jericho six days one time and seven days, on the seventh day seven times, that took having the law of God in his mouth to say it. This is what God said, and this is what we're going to do. But there was a whole lot more he needed to have. To get it fitted in your mouth, you have to get it in your heart first. To get it in your heart first, you've got to read it. And you've got to read it again, and you've got to read it again. And again. And memorize it. And think upon it. You have to read it to get it into your heart. To where you love it, understand it, believe it, trust it, are committed to it. It takes a bunch of reading. And then once it's in your heart, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You've got to get it there first. And it goes through these two things and it comes in here. It's to be preached and it's to be read. Preached and read, preached and read, preached and read. You've got 168 hours in the week. What are you doing with all of them? Trying to make a living. <laughs> Good. Keep trying. We'll look at the men who meditate upon the Word of God and find out that their living is better and easier. 168 hours in a week. If you work 40... 45 of them with travel time, and you sleep 55 of them, that's 8 hours a night, you still got 68 hours a week left. What in the world are you doing? This book of the law, you say you're right, I need to have devotions with my children every day and read the Bible with them. Okay, if you're doing that, do it twice. Twice a day. Double your efforts. It's important. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, Joshua. You want to be prosperous and successful and be like Moses? I'm with you. Only make sure you're courageous and strong and you do not let the book of the law of God depart out of your mouth. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. You do exactly what I've taught in Scripture. That is our only standard. 
Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You be thinking upon what I have said. You be ready and willing to defend what I have said. The book of Proverbs chapter 22 says that Solomon had written those things in order for those words to be fit in the mouths of his son and others who read the book of Proverbs. So that they could give the certain words of truth to anyone that asks them questions. Don't tell anyone what you think. What you think is worse than the devil because the devil is intelligent. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what we all think together. And if we got together and voted, it'd be less than nothing. It's what does God think? And we know what God thinks by what he said. And if you can't quote verses to back it up, then you're no good. Learn some verses. You say, I can't memorize, then write them down. Take three by five cards with you. Have them alphabetically organized. Marriage. You can go to M. And look them up yourself. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Joshua, you feed yourself, fill yourself upon the word of God. You'll know what to say to men, and you'll know what to do. Your heart will be based on my promises. You'll be able to teach my precepts. And you'll have the power of knowing the examples of what the word of God contains of what I've done for men before you. Moses had told the nation of Israel that the law of God that he gave them was their life. It was their wisdom. It was their righteousness. It was for their good. These are some of the most powerful verses in the book of Deuteronomy. These precepts that I'm giving you are for your wisdom. All the nations of the earth will be envious because of the wisdom of Israel. It is for your life. It is for your good if you'll do them. The New Testament tells us the same thing, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer, to give a reason of the hope that is within you to them that ask. That ask a reason of the hope that is within you to give an answer to them. When someone asks you a reason, that doesn't mean you can tell them what you think. That isn't a reason. What you think is a reason for nothing. When someone asks you a reason of the hope that is within you, you should be able to give them proofs of why you're hopeful. And those proofs come out of the Word of God. That's what was going to make Joshua great. And you know, if a man doesn't let the book of the law depart out of his mouth, but he meditates in it day and night, and he does according to all that is written therein, he doesn't turn left, he doesn't turn right, he doesn't add to it or take away from it, look what it says. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Those are words we want to hear. Make your way prosperous. If you're not as prosperous as you should be, ask how much you delight in the law of the Lord. Out of your 168 hours. Have not I commanded thee be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Whithersoever thou goest. Joshua you're going to prosper whithersoever you go. Because I'm going to go with you and prosper you. As long as you are courageous. You are strong. You do not let anyone intimidate you. But you delight in the law of God. You meditate upon it day and night. And you keep all of its commandments. And you don't turn to the left hand or the right hand. You follow me strictly and I'm going to be with you. And you're going to prosper. And while Joshua did that, they prospered. When Joshua went and tried to take the city of Ai without inquiring of the Lord and finding out about Achan in the camp, they suffered a defeat. And they're going to get in trouble in chapter 9 when we get there. 
But when Joshua served the Lord, what wonderful victories he had, the nations of Canaan trembled at the name Joshua. Well, with three exhortations to be strong and very courageous. And the words of the Lord ending in verse 9. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Joshua takes his first official act and orders the princes of the nation of Israel to pass through the host, verse 11, and command the people, saying, Prepare you vittles, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan, to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Forty years earlier, they had stood there in the same place. They should have taken the land. They wouldn't do it. And now Joshua sits down with the officers of the nation of Israel. I mean, he he assembles them and tells them, go tell the the whole multitude of two million, whatever it was. It was around two million. There's 600,000 armed men. He tells the, the assembled multitude, Get your, get your food ready for some travel. In three days, we're going to cross the Jordan River and take the land of Canaan. He issues the order. He is not afraid. He is being courageous and very strong. And he orders the princes to go do what they wouldn't do 40 years earlier. If somebody wants to know about the word vittles, go look it up. It's interesting to take this word victuals, as we would like to say it, victuals, but when you look it up, in the Oxford English Dictionary, which is the most straight-laced formal dictionary of the English language, it tells you to pronounce it just like Grandma would. Vittles. That's food and provision for the way. They needed three days' provision along with the manna. These people have been eating just more than manna. They bought and sold, I mean, they bought meat and other things along the way from people that were living there in the wilderness where they traveled. Now we come to the last part of the book. It's just uh, seven verses that run down from 12 to 18. And it deals with the two tribes of the Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. These two and a half tribes, when they came up around the Dead Sea, according to your map, and were on the east side of the Jordan River, when they were in Shittim and all that area, north and south, on the east side of the Dead Sea and the east side of the Jordan River and the east side of the Sea of Galilee, that whole territory, they said, listen, we love cattle. Our business is cattle. This is perfect land for cattle. Please let us stay here. And for those of you that read Numbers 32 last night, I'm not going to go there. It's a wonderful exchange. Moses deals with them harshly. They trade back and forth four times until there's a commitment made by Moses telling Joshua and Eliezer, make sure these two and a half tribes get their land on that side of Jordan. But here's the deal. Since the whole 12 tribes had just fought... Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, in order for Reuben and Gad to have the land unfettered and free of enemies, since they had helped them get their territory, you're going to arm yourselves and you're going to cross the Jordan River with us until we get the rest of the territory and give it to the ten tribes, then we'll let you go home. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to half the tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying. And this is from Numbers 13. The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle 
shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor and help them. Until the Lord have given your brethren rest as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return unto the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan, toward the sun rising. Moses, where does the sun come up? East. The eastern side of the Jordan River was given to these two and a half tribes. Moses had guaranteed it to them as long as they would go and help fight the battles for the nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan River. The words, be sure your sin will find you out. Those of you who read Numbers 32 last night discovered those words, and now you know their context. They're out of the mouth of Moses about the two and a half tribes. If you do not keep your part of the bargain, and you do not go over Jordan and help the other nine and a half tribes possess their land, be sure your sin will find you out. Now that applies to all of us. Be sure your sin will find you out. The Lord will punish all sins of any sort, no matter how hard you try to hide them. But those particular words were in a context of Moses straightly threatening the two and a half tribes that they better keep their half of the bargain. So they are on the east side of the Jordan River, the east side of the Dead Sea, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, and the east side all the way up through there is the land owned, called Gilead, in many cases, and in the book of Joshua. Verse 16, here's how they answered. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. According as we hearkened unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee, as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words in all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong. And of a good courage. Think for a moment. Joshua's first act of business. Go tell the people. Three days. Get ready. We're crossing Jordan. And taking the land of Canaan. Second act of business. Assemble the two and a half tribes. And then. He told them. That they better remember. The deal they had with Moses. From Numbers chapter 13. This was a crucial moment in the history of that nation. If Joshua didn't do that, and if the two and a half tribes rebelled, it would create an enormous division in the nation and would have wrecked havoc, would have discouraged the other nine and a half. Moses knew that way back in Numbers 13 and would have been very troublesome to get across the Jordan River in such a condition. So Joshua takes up number two. Official acts of work. To ask men who are very comfortable. They're already at rest. Their cattle are grazing. And they love the home life. To leave their kids. They're not going to see their children learn to ride a bicycle. They're not going to see their wives for five years. But to arm themselves and to go across the Jordan River and to take on 31 kings. All that thou commandest us will we do. Wonderful men. God, is God already with Joshua? Amen. What did Joshua have to do? 
Call the leaders of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh to me. You say, well, that's pretty simple. Yep. Arise and go. Do what you're supposed to do. If you fathers will sit with your children and just take the first steps of being the kind of father you should be, the Lord will do the rest. He's been multiplying man's efforts for 6,000 years, and he's not going to stop. He knows our efforts are inadequate by themselves. He will bless the effort just of getting started. Just get started. Joshua got started, and he took on the difficult task of those two and a half tribes, because if they would have rebelled, it would have been terrible. But look at their attitude. This is the attitude of godly men. These are the men you want to find for a husband. Young ladies, all that your father, all that my father tells me to do, I will do. I will put anything at risk to do what is right. And I'll kill anything in my way. These are great men. These men didn't say, Moses, you can kill them. These men said, we'll kill them. If any man rebels against what you, against Joshua, excuse me, just like we hearkened unto Moses, we'll hearken unto you, Joshua. Here is commitment. These are great men. Note the singular pronouns that they used in verse 17. As we hearkened unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee. In verse 16, all that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, they are exalting Joshua. The Lord's doing it. The Lord's doing it in a public assembly where these two and a half tribes are lifting Joshua up. The most fearful decision they had to make was two and a half tribes to spend five years in the land of Canaan. They're going to do it. And they exalt Joshua as their leader. The Lord was with him. What duties has God assigned you? You can do them if you follow God's job description for Joshua. What was his job description? Be courageous. Be strong. Learn the word of God. Have it in your mouth. Don't turn to the left or the right. Do exactly what the Bible says, and I will be with you. Just do it. Arise and go. You must be dedicated to learning all the word of God. Some of you are dedicated to learning a whole bunch of stuff that is of such insignificance in comparison to the Word of God. You need to speak it. You need to obey it. Based on God's promises and the certainty of His words, you should be strong and very courageous. Then get to work and do what God has commanded you. Christians don't procrastinate. Are you a husband? Father, a master, a servant, a ruler, a student, a pastor? What are you? Do like Joshua. Learn the word of God and be courageous and very strong. I want to tell you something, brethren. You have a second Joshua. We don't follow that first Joshua. He's been dead now for 3,500 years. We have the second Joshua. And his name is the same. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and master and leader of the New Testament. He's leading us to the promised land of heaven. He's leading us to the real intent of the dimensions that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's leading us and he's given us a manual that we're to follow as much as Joshua had a manual. It's not the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. Are you learning it, loving it, delighting in it, and keeping it? Believe on him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him like the men of Reuben and Gad put their trust in Joshua. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. 
God's appointed him and charged him. He's died for us and he's sitting at the right hand in heaven. He has promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. He said, my father and I will come and make our abode with those that keep our commandments. As the tribe of Reuben and Gad said that we will kill anyone who rebels against you, Joshua, so we should be willing to mortify our flesh and put to death anything in us, anything in our homes, and anything in our church that is against the law of God and against the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a Joshua. We need to learn from Joshua chapter 1 how to serve the second Joshua. Be strong and very courageous, men. Do what God's told you to do. You young men, choose to be great like Joshua. Delight yourself in the law of God. Fill your heart and and mouth with it. Anything less is not good enough. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and us to his honor and glory as we move toward the Canaan which is above. Amen.